I have a bulletin insert. I would love for you to pull it out. Follow along with me. Whenever there's a construction of a message or a teaching, uh, this sermon time, uh, us on the back end of it, we kind of joke with each other about, I have three eyes for you, or I have three points, and all the points have the same letter at the top, and all, we, ha- we have kind of this structure that we do. In fact, we were trained to do that. Uh, and and I've, I've not done a great job in my ministry career of abiding by the rules of constructing a message that makes sense uh, from a writing it down perspective, and that's mostly because I just like to talk. I'm a conversationalist. I like to stand up here and, and hopefully that the Lord, uh, Spirit of God, uh, gives me the words to say. I usually build a structure, an outline for myself to kind of hone in my thinking. But when I was constructing this teaching, <laughs> I started out with this, this phrase that said, B, and then there's a blank, and then the next one is B, and then there's another blank. And then for about, a, about four hours, I tried to come up with another B, with another blank. But I couldn't. I couldn't do it. And all that training that I had and all that Bible college that I spent all that money on and all the seminary time, I could not for the life of me come up with a third B something, right? So you can't just have two points. I was trained to have three or five or seven or just one, but even numbers are bad in churches. You don't have even numbers. And so I couldn't just like let it be. I had to keep moving and figure out what's this third point. And then I realized as I finished the outline, I'm like, that's not even the thing I want to say. And here's, what, here's why I resisted the outline for so long. is because I, I think it sure it gives you structure, but it doesn't give you freedom. The structure is good. A person anointed by the Holy Spirit with freedom is better. And if you're anointed by the Spirit of God, which if you have come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and put your trust in Him, you have been anointed by a gift. The Spirit of God has given you something to use with freedom and, and, and generosity and whenever you can use that gift. And for right now in this season, I feel like what God has given me is this ability to just communicate and talk and just, and just to share what the Lord's doing in my own life and communicate it back as we build structures around that, right? And so now I feel free, so I don't abide by the outline. But I know that there's people that are sitting down going, wait a second, you better abide by the outline or else I won't understand what you're saying. So I have that personal pastoral tension of creating an outline but saying what I want to say. And I actually, I've gone back and listened to a lot of what we've, I've said and I have, whether you know, like it or not, or believe me or not, I have actually filled in every blank. You may not have been paying attention because you were knitting, but I filled in every blank because I just wanted to make sure. But anyway, so I have three blanks for you. Actually, I technically have four blanks for you, but that's not the crux of what I want to talk about. See, this parable has a lot happening. I already said that by the direction that we can go. And when we first read it, and I'm telling you, when you dig into commentaries on this, every commentator says, this is the most complicated parable to understand. And when I read it like a normal human being, like somebody who's not really that intelligent, but just reads, it seems pretty easy what it says. You can't serve God and money, right? 
But there's also nuance to all the things that we read in Scripture, and there's application at time and place, and there's application for us. And, but at the same time, it doesn't seem that complicated. Well, I feel like the more we study and the more I study, the more complicated it gets, and that's why I couldn't find the third B blank. So let me give you your first, your first blank on this one, on this three-part outline that's actually the pre-message. This parable is telling us to be generous. To be generous. See, what, what Jesus is doing again is he's teaching, he's beginning to teach his disciples really about money. But not just cash in the wallet or cash in the bank, but actually this, this draw that we have towards hoarding, towards collecting, towards worshiping money. The Bible doesn't tell us that we can't be wealthy at all. It tells us not to be worshiping wealth. Right now we're teaching FPU in the church, and we're going to continue to do that. We love the Ramsey principles. What's the seventh baby step? Do you remember? What's that? Overly generous. Overly generous. So in the Ramsey baby step process, one through six is all about figuring out how to make sure that you can be generous. The more money that we have, I said this was going to be a message about money, and it really isn't at the core, I promise. But the more money we have, as followers of, of Jesus, the more generous we can be. And that's what Jesus is, is really starting to get at. You need to be generous. Don't hoard. Don't hold. Don't worship wealth. Be generous. At the end of this parable, at the end of this parable, we have these, these verses that everybody recognizes, that you've heard before, that Spider-Man built an entire comic book off of. With great power comes great responsibility. Those who are faithful with the little things will be faithful with much. You can't serve two masters. We tend to be faithful with, with certain aspects of our life. Really, it's easy for us to be faithful with certain aspects of our life. One of the most formative messages I've ever heard was from a pastor named Chuck Swindoll. Anybody heard of him before? Pretty famous guy. It was when I was going through ordination, and it was intentional, but the point of the message was is Chuck Swindoll shared to a bunch of teachers, pastors, future pastors, future missionaries, future church planters, that I did not do anything or every decision I made was built on the idea I don't want to embarrass my family. See, pastors up here get going in life to where they forget about that very, they think they're being faithful with everything, right? But eventually, they just lose track because they're not thinking about a few different things so that they're able to be faithful with all the things. Be faithful with all the things is your blank if you're paying attention. So they end up getting out of control. They think that they're leading in a certain direction, and they get mission-oriented or focused in a direction to say, come along with me, we're heading in this way, Get on my truck, get on my wagon, let's go this way. And they get so hyper-focused that they forget about being faithful with all the things. And this message that Chuck Swindoll shared really reminded me that every time I make a decision or every time I step out in front of somebody or every time I do something, I need to think about these. Well, at first it was just Adrienne. 
Then it became the three of them. And then if I took it a little bit further, it became about my extended family. What would my in-laws think? What would my parents think? What would my brother and sister think? And what that did, what that did for me and what that does is it helps shape so that I remain faithful in all the little things. Because pastors get wildly out of control. They get stupid. They turn into like egomaniacs. And they, they think that the world sets on their decisions and their life. And they end up embezzling money and have multiple families. And it's crazy. It's insane behavior. Because they live their life in a vacuum. Because they end up not being faithful with all the things. And that one little message that says, I don't, I'm, everything I do, I don't want to embarrass my family, completely changed the way in which I did ministry. So much so that I had no interest in being in this particular position. I stayed at a secondary, a third role, a fourth role, behind the scenes. I was like the puppeteer in churches that would make, help make decisions and cast vision and architect ministry because I didn't want the responsibility because everything I say and everything I do is scrutinized. And there's an opportunity to embarrass my household. The Lord has made me very thankful that I've been able to maintain, hopefully, a pretty long career in ministry without it really embarrassing them, other than saying dumb things about them while I'm up here. But that's not true embarrassment. That's just like kind of an uncomfortability. Real embarrassment, we know what we're talking about, right? I don't need to say the thing that I'm not saying, right? Be faithful in all the things. So... Jesus is taking this parable about money and the, and the dishonest manager. And this manager is brilliant, right? He, he knows he's going to get fired. He hasn't been faithful with all the stuff he's been given. And he goes out and, and thinks about his own life and says, wait, I'm going to get fired. I need to figure out how to gain some respect, reputation, relationship with people so that I can continue to have a career after my boss fires me. And he goes out and wheels and deals and makes all these plans and, and does all these different things to change the debt so that down the road, after he loses his job, he can go to them and say, hey, look what I did for you, and hopefully get a new job. And it looks like Jesus commends him for that and says, wow, look at this guy. Look at this guy. So some Bibles say the dishonest manager. Some say the shrewd manager. The idea, though, is here is we need to be generous with what we have, and we need to be faithful with all the things. The last part of the pre-message, like what? How long have you been talking? The last part of the pre-message is, in the kingdom of God, we need to know the king. Or if you put it into a business sense, which you can right now, you need to know the CEO. Who runs the operation? The more accountable I feel to the owner of the operation, the more accountable I feel to the CEO, the more accountable I feel to the king, the more responsible I am with his possessions. The more responsible I am with his resources. The more available I am to be taught and coached and able to lead in a way as I've been given responsibility in his business to do it the way he would want me to do it. Knowing the CEO, knowing the king, will reorient our values to those of God's kingdom. 
See, the thing is, this kind of discipleship and this kind of following of Jesus is not easy and it's not popular. It's not easy to completely transform the way in which you make decisions, the way in which you manage, manage resources, the way in which you live your life. It's not easy. It's not, it's not trendy to the world. In fact, it is actually easy to, to maintain and grow your wealth. It is easy to put money in the bank if you discipline yourself. It is easy to become, uh, this is what Jesus is attacking, it's easy to become a worshiper of your stuff. But the more you know the king, the more you know the CEO, the more those first two points come into practice and they become faithful with everything. And you become generous with everything. Okay, so now, I gave you your three points. Let's preach for a second. In the kingdom of God, we are called to be faithful managers of its resources. In the kingdom of God, we're called to be faithful managers of its resources. I want you to have that in your mind. That is our mission. We are to be faithful to the things that God has given us. That's why I stand up here and do what I'm doing. That's why I preach. That's why I try to lead us as a congregation. I'm trying to be as faithful as possible to the things that God has given me and manage the resources. I'm not even taking it into a personal level. I'm just taking it into a church career perspective. There are so many variants and and pathways we can walk with this. But in the kingdom of God, we're called to be faithful managers. The follower of Jesus who possesses wealth, material goods, must see themselves as no longer rich but as managers of God's resources. They must be generous and ready to share in the kingdom resources. So here's the deal. We have to define the resources. And this is where I get excited. What are the resources that we have to dispose of or to use or what has God given us? And now you can start going through your mind and think of all the different things. I have four of them. I think that there's probably more, but this is an even number, so you church people should be freaking out right now. This, I have four of them. Time, people, integrity, and love. These are four resources we have to freely give and use. We have our time, which is our activity. Our time is our activity. The things that we do, the things that we operate in, the things that we're just showing up here and we're giving our time. It's the stuff that we do, right? People, those are our relationships. Think about your relationship as a resource, I'm going to have a relationship with you. And now, because we have a relationship, God is asking me to use that for his kingdom. We have our integrity. This is our decisions that we get to make. The shrewd manager did not have great integrity, did he? We have, in the kingdom of God, we've been given the integrity resource. These are all of our decisions. Are we making decisions that actually advance the kingdom of God? that take us one step closer to Jesus Christ. And finally, the last one that I came up with is love. Those are our allegiances. At the end of the parable, we get the phrase, you can't love two masters. So we have to define the resources. The most hard, complicated thing about running a business is understanding what you're trying to sell or who your customer is or what your tools are to accomplish your task. But even a church is a business, whether you like it or not. It's a business. We have an objective. 
We have something we're trying to sell every single day we're here together. Do you realize that? I am a Jesus salesman. So we have to use the resources within our business in order to accomplish our mission. What's our mission? Well, the elders are going to try to determine that. But it's not that complicated really, right? What's the great commission? Go and make disciples of all nations. So if you really wanted to boil it down to a very simple thing, our mission as a church is to make disciples. When you use that context as that's our business, and that's what we're trying to accomplish is to make disciples, and that you take our resources that I just laid out to you, how can those things help advance our business? How do people and time and our integrity and our love help make disciples? Are we using our time appropriately? Are we using our time well? This week I tried to start tracking my time. I hate doing that. I hate it so much. I use this app called Toggle. And I just type in what I'm doing, and I track it. And I realize that I waste a lot of time. But I'm not sure exactly what I'm wasting it on because I forgot to track the thing that I'm wasting it on. So there's a discipline involved with tracking your time. But you see the problem. How many of you are Netflix users? Okay. How many times do you go on to Netflix and you just scroll and not actually watch anything, but you just scroll looking for something? You could have watched five things by the time you get done scrolling through the thing that you actually decide on watching, and then you realize you don't have the time to actually watch it because it's like 1130 at night and it's time to go to bed. See, time is a resource we throw out the window. People. What if you thought about all your relationships as potential relationships to, to sell our product to? Does it feel disgusting for me to say that? We're selling Jesus to somebody? But seriously, it's easier, I think, to sell hope than it is to sell some random doohickey. It's easier to sell Jesus than it is to sell real insurance. What's the commitment to... to to buying Jesus, just transformation of your entire life. See, the issue is, is we usually don't think of Jesus as a thing we want to give to people. We think of Jesus as a thing that we already have. And when we start to look at our relationships in the light of trying to accomplish the mission of discipling people or introducing them to Jesus, we then begin to change the way we talk to people. And that we're excited to tell them about the hope that we have in Jesus. And maybe you'd like to try a little bit of what I have too. How many mama bears have side hustles? Just raise your hand if you do. A little side hustle, right? I had a side hustle once. It was cleaning a bank. I went every night to clean a bank. Why? Because we have this like, need to make more money. For what? Because we have responsibilities. What does that have to do with anything? We get trapped in this cycle to where the object of our affection, the object of our want, the object of our motivation, the object of our business doesn't become Jesus anymore because something else. 
We need to become managers. What do managers do? Managers do a lot of different things. I managed a Wendy's one time. Actually, for a lot of years, I managed a Wendy's. Managing a Wendy's actually put me through college. I loved it. In fact, it's always been my backup plan. My backup plan wasn't like some other ministry. It was like Wendy's. I've, I've had that in my head for a number of years. I mean, since I was 24, legitimately 24, like almost 20 years ago. I thought, at some point, I'm going to be working at Wendy's because I'm going to wear out a church so much to be like, I can't handle it anymore. You just yell at me every Sunday morning, and it's time for you to not be here anymore. And then I'll be like, okay, I get it. The Lord has called me into Wendy's. Here's the sad thing about Wendy's in my life. I've led more people to Jesus that I know of, face-to-face, knee-to-knee, pray-to-prayer, like that, than I have in ministry my whole life. Think about that. I was with the ripe people of a church for years, students. I, I lived in camp in the summer, where that's like, everybody comes to Jesus at camp. But at Wendy's, at Wendy's, all the time leading people to Christ. All the time. Why is that? Because Jesus was the thing that mattered. Not this. You see how good things turn into distractions for church people. We get consumed... We get consumed with accomplishing the tasks of church, the projects of church, the this, the that, the this, the that, the budget, the that. And Jesus, we lose the attention on Jesus and actually just begin to do this over and over and over again. Because we become managers, which we're supposed to be. But we begin to plan, that's a blank. We begin to organize, that's a blank. We begin to lead, that's a blank. And we begin to represent. Now here's the problem. We usually do all of those things and we forget to represent. We forget that every time we talk, every time we walk, every time we work, we're actually representing Jesus to people. We are, in, we are inviting them into a kingdom that cannot be broken. And so this parable about the shrewd manager, it's all about wrestling the disciples down to saying, who are you going to serve? Who are you going to love? Who are you going to worship? This is the problem without, without when you don't stick to an outline, right? You just kind of go. Okay, so I'm gonna ra- I want to just kind of like, I want to land the plane for us a little bit. The dangerous part for the for the Christian life, the dangerous part for the Christian life is we get caught up and distracted by all the other things other than Jesus. We go through and think about all these things, but we forget to actually really drive towards Jesus. The perfect mission statement, if I should say so, about church should be taking steps closer to Jesus every day. What would that look like if we were to do that with each other? What would that look like if we were to challenge each other in that way? What would that look like if we were to live knowing 
and, and acting out upon these resources that we have, if we spent our time taking steps towards Jesus, if we spent our time in our relationships asking people to take steps towards Jesus with us, if we love people in a way where we could take steps towards Jesus so that they could look at us taking steps towards Jesus, and they trusted us so much because they knew how much we loved them to where they were like, yes, I will hold your hand as you walk towards Jesus. What if all of our decisions that we ever made reflected people who were taking steps towards Jesus? See, the Bible doesn't ask us to be poor. The Bible doesn't ask us to have nothing. The Bible doesn't say in the shrewd manager parable that you should never have anything. It says, I want you to always be taking steps towards me to use all of the resources you have available to worship me. And then as you're doing it, be generous, be faithful, and know who I am. I am the king. And know me. Know my name. Know what I do. Know what I'm about. Wake up to me. That's what is happening in this parable. Now we can go multiple paths. We could talk about very minute details about it. But I think you understand at a very deep level that you can't worship more than one thing. Have you ever tried? It always fails. So back to Wendy's. I've had this in the back of my mind that I'm going to go back to Wendy's. Maybe it's going to be like my third career. But there was a time where I used it as a scapegoat to not be in the position that I'm in. I used a really good job in my life and a fallback plan to not leave and use the gifts that God gave me. I distinctly remember being 34-ish and having this moment in my office. The Lord said, stop talking about Wendy's. You're not going back to Wendy's. (laughs) Now, I had to have this moment to where I stopped using this crutch that I had to really step out and start to lead or do the thing that God called me to do. Now, I don't believe that everybody has that issue that I have, but I do think as a church family, we, we do have those things. We have crutches make it so we don't manage the resources well that make it so we don't think about what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. We have hurts in this church that we're healing from still. And we're healing fast, I think, though. I think we're healing fast. But those things become a crutch. And individually, not even corporately as a church, you have those also. And the crutch doesn't allow you to take free steps forward towards Jesus. I always had Wendy's to give me the freedom to take baby steps. One other thing, I know I'm just kind of like, I used my wife, now that she's not here, as a crutch as well. I would always introduce myself as Dr. Faisal's husband. I had this weird thing that said, I can't be a leader because my wife is the breadwinner. Who's telling me that? Is that me? No. No father of lies, working actively in all of our lives, specifically in mine, telling me I wasn't good enough, telling me I wasn't needed, telling me that I wasn't capable, 
giving me reasons to not step into leadership, giving me reasons to not talk to somebody about Jesus Christ, giving me fear. We are to be faithful in all things. I know in this room that God is calling you to do something. You hear his voice. And there is this fear that comes up that says, I'm not allowed to do that. I'm giving you permission to be ridiculous and to step out in faith, knowing that the father of lies is trying to squelch you and to push you down. Because God is talking to you and asking you to be generous, to be faithful, and to know him, and to manage his resources with with power and authority of the Spirit of God inside of you. That's the message here. Be faithful. Be generous. Know me so that you can do the things I've called you to do. Well, what's God calling you to do? God's not calling you. God's not calling you to come here and listen to me. I promise. Remember, this is a launch pad, not an ending point. We start here. We don't finish here. God's calling you, and you have created scenarios that say you can't. I can't. And whatever that is inside of you, it has to be gone. I command it to be gone. I desire it to be gone. Because when you work and lead and live in freedom, knowing that you're an honest manager of his resources, he is more than faithful to do abundantly more than we could ever ask and imagine. That the, the coffers grow in his resources so that his kingdom can be advanced, not your life being advanced. See, that's the difference when you are a dishonest manager versus an honest, faithful manager. Is you're, you're trying to preserve self with dishonesty, and you're trying to advance kingdom with dis- I say that right? You're trying to advance the kingdom with honesty. And so that God faithfully gives you more and more and more and more so that His kingdom will be advanced. Not you. So what does that look like? You all have a story. All of you. I'm looking at you in your eyes the best I can. Even the little ones in this room have a story to tell to where God is calling you to be a faithful manager of the resources he's given you in his kingdom. Some of you are saying, wait a second, I'm 70 plus years old. There's no possible way that I have something I'm being called to do. Wrong! You have something to do. It's beautiful to see Bob up here and Nancy up here working the building, hugging toilets, cleaning out your kids' poop from the toilets so that your kids can poop in them again and shove toys. The flakes serving donuts and sitting in the, sitting in the coffee room, being host and hostess and just talking to whoever comes in there. This is what we do. This is being faithful. And God will continue to pile up the resources if you are honest as a manager and faithful as a manager. That's exciting, right? I don't know what that looks like. But you know what I'm excited about doing? Figuring it out with you. Because it could be fun. We could be all over the world. Literally all over the world. I have 25 different places we could go. I'd love to see Australia. 
I think they need Jesus there. <laughs> My point is, is we, we have a king who has endless resources that he's trying to give to his faithful people. Are we going to be faithful together? That's what I want us to be. That's my take on the dishonest manager. If you caught me next week, I might say something different about it. But that's my take today. Are we going to be faithful with the resources that God's giving to us daily to serve in his kingdom?